Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Good evening once again. I'm Jeremy Scott, and this is Into the Paranormal, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Well, the bombshell dropped. Did you hear that yesterday? You know, I've been hearing mixed reactions, and I'm going to bring a different take to the disclosure report because I've actually found some nuggets in which I think indicate that this topic is being taken more seriously and more seriously at the highest level. And that's ultimately the goal here. Everybody wants disclosure to be a moment, it seems, when a politician gets up on a stage and says, we've been visited And here's the evidence. What we saw yesterday, which I have in my hands here, a nine-page document. A lot of people have said, you know, you should just put this thing in the recycle bin. You should just throw it away. It's nine pages of nonsense. But you see, I think that what this document actually says here is a whole lot more than that. And I remind you, this is only a preliminary assessment. This is only a preliminary assessment of the UAP topic. This is not a final assessment. And as this preliminary assessment says, more investigation needs to be done. It says it should require rigorous additional analysis among other things. And I'm sure you've had a chance to review the document or to read some articles about it online. And it's been interesting to to get reactions here. The fact that this is an official document coming from the Office of the Director 
of national intelligence with the U.S. seal on it and the words unclassified printed at the top and bottom of every page to me says a lot. And I'll tell you why. Because it is an official government document looking into a topic that has been considered a fringe subject for the mainstream. A subject that puts those of us who entertain the possibilities into certain categories. Namely, those people who wear those tinfoil hats. Well, the people who wear the tinfoil hats, for us, it's it, the chickens have come home to roost because here is an official government document that says there have been these incursions with aircraft in which they cannot explain. Quote, in 18 incidents described in 21 reports, observers reported unusual UAP movement patterns or flight characteristics. So, these are Again, trustworthy people with a lot of flight hours, the ability to discern things in the air. And we have information in here that it could just be, um, you know, could be because of sensors. It could because of because of a quote. These observations could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing or observer misperception. If they were sensor errors, then how come 80 multiple sensors picked up hits, as they say? In this report, 144 reports, and of those, 80 involved observation with multiple sensors. So are you meaning to tell me that all of these sensors are simultaneously acting up. And if that's the case, would we not want to investigate that? Would we want not want to know what is causing those sen- sensors to malfunction because it's a security risk? And if it was certainly the result of spoofing, well, we, we would want to know that as well because if we were being spoofed, we would want to try to be ahead of the enemy eventually. And that, again, is a security issue. And when it comes down to observer misperception, I have a hard problem, a hard time with that one, because I'm thinking, why would these people volunteer this information if they were going to face so much scrutiny for it, right? If they could potentially be demoted, lose their job, be advanced uh, over for a promotion. But the fact that this document right here says this stuff. Let's look at the bigger picture here, friends. They are hiding information. This is nine pages There are dozens 
of other pages to this report. What you got was not the report. What this is is nothing more than what it says, a preliminary assessment. If this was not going on, if this was nothing serious, if it was nothing that deserved and demanded our attention, our government's attention, our military's attention, ultimately the taxpayer's attention because we're funding this stuff, there would be no recommendations in this report if this was a serious, if this was not a serious subject, there would not be recommendations in this report that we need to improve our radar, that we need to invest in AI, artificial intelligence systems, in which to help us detect this uh, goings-on in the airspace. And we certainly wouldn't be wasting money on investing, you know, R&D in something if it wasn't a serious Subject. A committee wouldn't have been formed. A committee wouldn't have put together a report at the taxpayer's expense and delivered it to Congress late on a Friday, just before five o'clock, mind you, if it wasn't serious. If it is not a threat, what we are facing, whether it is extraterrestrial, whether it is from another country, or whether it's ours, in which we were not wanting the secrets to get out about. Those are the possibilities to me. I'm not jumping to this, this is an alien occurrence. There are people that I have had on this program who have come on and have been convinced as long as the day is long that every craft is an alien craft, and I don't believe that. What I believe is we're dealing with a mix. I think it's a more logical way of of looking at the situation that not everything is maybe what what we think it is. But the fact that we cannot explain what is going on here, and I haven't even gotten to the categories in which they have come up with that these sightings in which were investigated from the early 2000s up until March of this year was was the length of time in which they focused in on. So they didn't investigate, you know, the most uh, historic UFO sightings ever. They they investigated stuff that that has been happening in the last two decades. And so here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this shows that there's some serious stuff at play here. What this shows is that this is only a precursor of what may be to come. A preliminary assessment is only a preliminary assessment. And I wouldn't be too surprised if before too long there are maybe congressional hearings, proceedings in the Senate or whatnot regarding this subject because there's enough in here that says we don't know what we are dealing with. I'm going to throw out the number here. It's 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-TALK. 
toll-free in North America. And outside North America, it's 503-506-0396. If you're on Skype, you can get through at ITP51. Or if you're signed in on your device, just go to parabnormalradio.com. Click the Skype button. We make it easy. And and tell me what what it is you think this actually says here. Be very interested in what you think about this. I as I said, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some action that is taken that follows this. I I don't believe this to be the end. And I don't think it's just Marco Rubio who's the senator from Florida, a Republican, whether you like like him or hate him, put the carrot, or the pork, as some might say, into last December's COVID relief bill. Hence, the deadline yesterday for the report to be delivered to Congress, and it was. And so I don't know who has Marco Rubio's ear, and I don't know how far above him it goes, but what I'm saying is that there is there there leaves a lot more to be desired when it comes to this. Let's get into those categories that they discussed. They put them into five categories. Airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomenon, USG or US industrial developmental programs, foreign adversary systems and a catch-all other bin. If you remember the Project Blue Book investigation, that ended with a lot that could not be explained as well. And such is the case here. I think pilots would be able to determine if they had flown any amount uh, of credible hours in their careers how to determine airborne clutter, things like birds and balloons and debris. Natural atmospheric phenomena, ice crystals, moisture, thermal fluctuations that may register on some infrared and radar systems. Possibility, I I, I guess. They say that some UAP observations could be attributable to developments in classified programs by U.S., entities we were unable to confirm however that these systems accounted for any of the reports we collected well there takes out one of one of the uh possibilities that i brought up which is that it is it is ours maybe technology that we got from the extraterrestrials in one of those deals or exchanges but they're saying that they found that they could not find any evidence or at least confirm that that was the case here. But that some UAP could be deployed by China, Russia, another nation, or even a non-governmental entity. And there's another part that got glazed over because we've talked about the foreign adversaries who may be in our airspace testing craft, maybe observing us, Maybe plotting war, who knows? Spreading viruses, I don't know. I don't know if 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 there would be anybody besides China or, or Russia who would be involved. 
but the non-government entity part, that there might be some sort of domestic terrorism at play here, and that the this could be uh, a private thing, where there's been a well-funded private operation, a non-governmental entity who has been developing this this these aircraft, uh, which have been mistaken for UFOs. Maybe something the kind that you know Bob Lazar worked at, uh, you know, out there at Area Fifty One. Maybe there's some sort of private development going on. If I get cut off, I guess I'll know the reason why. And then the final category is the is the other category, which is just they don't know how to describe it, but there's no absolute positive conceivable way that it could be alien. And that's what they want you to believe. And by not being able to prove something, to me, that actually does prove something. Because it it keeps it on the table, right? You have all of these possibilities and you can't rule something out. It has a place there. It must stay. It cannot get kicked out of the club, so to speak. I read, quote from the report, in the other category, which is the fifth possibility that they say that these could be. Although most of the UAP described in our data set probably remain unidentified due to limited data or challenges to collection, processing, or analysis, we may require additional scientific knowledge to successfully collect on, analyze, and characterize some of them. We would group such objects in this category pending scientific advances that allowed us to better understand them. Period. Stop. Are we dealing something with something that is scientifically advanced that we don't understand what we're dealing with and we now need to do some investigation in order to have this even be uh, beneficial to the investigation process? You have to understand what you're dealing with before you can ever really try to understand it. And it, it sounds like they're, they're alluding to the fact that this there could be some scientifically advanced technology. What we have would need some scientific advances in order to reach the level of the stuff we're dealing with. Maybe another way of saying it. The UAPTF, UAP Task Force, intends to focus additional analysis on the small number of cases where a UAP appeared to display unusual flight characteristics or signature management. So they are going to continue to analyze cases in which, again, they cannot explain what is going on. Ladies and gentlemen, that is from the report. Does that sound like a big nothing to you? Or does it sound like they they gave us something? And it's just up up to us to in, interpret. And this may be something that we can apply to our lives in a general basis, whether it's with politics and personal biases. If you go into a situation with blinders on, you'll probably come out of it with blinders on. And you may never change your mind, and we may never grow as a society. Hence, where we may be right now. I hope to take the blinders off tonight... And I hope you'll realize that there's a lot more to this report. What they are saying says a lot, and what they're not saying says even more. 
And I'd love to hear from you, 855-790-8255, toll-free in North America, 503-506-0396, outside North America, and ITP51 on Skype. The name of this episode is Disclosed. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Into the paranormal rolls on. Abnormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. Correspondent Daniel Brewer has the report everyone's been waiting for. After a six-month wait, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence submitted their UAP report to Congress on Friday afternoon. Released to the public, a nine-page report. Mystery Wire's George Knapp breaks down the findings. The report included 144 total cases, 80 of those detected on multiple sensors. There were 11 incidents where American warplanes had near-mid-air collisions with the unknown objects. There were 18 cases where the objects exhibited unusual flight characteristics. The report says the UAP investigated between November of 2004 and this March fall into one of five potential categories. Airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, USG or U.S. industry development programs, foreign adversary systems, and a catch-all other bin. And that it could simply be the result of sensor errors or pilot misperception. It was unidentified and that's why it was so unsettling to us because we weren't expecting it because we couldn't classify it. Clearly not the case for most, including the account from Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich from CBS's 60 Minutes. Data does continue to be gathered and analyzed to deepen our understanding. Lawmakers, intelligence, and military personnel believe the bigger concern here is not alien life, but rather a foreign adversary like Russia or China having superior next-generation technology. This could be a foreign adversary with an advanced capability, and we can't get surprised by that. Releasing it might give away Senator Marco Rubio stated on TMZ. The report is summarized by the limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. This is Daniel Brewer for Paranormal News. There's more news at ParabnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, Paranormal News. government is now acknowledging the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena. I'm going off with our military men and their radars and their eyesight is telling them. The government has already stated for the record that they're real. There are a lot more sightings than have been made public. We have people like Navy pilots, former CIA directors coming forward and saying, yeah, there are things that we don't really understand. If there is an adversary with that kind of technology, then we definitely need to be very, very careful. At this point, it truly defies explanation. So far, this has just been not taken seriously. It's been totally ridiculed, even though we have Navy pilots, former CIA directors. Just what is this unexplained aerial phenomenon? 
to the paranormal, where alien visitations make for another extraordinary Saturday night. Yep. I want to know what is it, not what it is not. Is that clear, friends? This episode of Into the Paranormal on the Saturday night, this hot Saturday night, I think we finally have tiptoed under 100 degrees now, maybe, kind of, sort of. We were over 100 degrees, 106, 108, something like that, which we don't have here in Oregon, not in June at least. I don't know. It's really hot, though. Uh, I'm cool inside. I want to make it very clear, very clear here. That I am not saying this report says nothing. I'm actually saying the opposite. I I don't think some folks are clear uh, based on some chats that I'm seeing and some messages. But let me be clear here. I'm not saying that this report says nothing. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying this report says everything. And I just told you in the first segment... Why it says everything. I want to take a call and welcome someone in the state of Minnesota. Hello, who's this? Oh, this is uh, Daniel Brewer, your news correspondent. Hey, Daniel. How are we doing tonight, sir? I'm good. It's an honor to hear from you. No, well, it's an honor to talk to you, sir. No, I just wanted to throw my uh, my hat in the ring real quick uh, about the report. Um little bit of a, a theory, I would say. Um, you know, I agree with you. Uh, the report, uh, it did say something. It did say something. Um, my belief is, though, uh, it, it's, it's not a foreign adversary. It, it, it's not Russian. It's not Chinese. Um, it's, it's none of their technology. I believe that would be the, the biggest uh, intelligence breakdown in U.S. history if somehow we miss this. Uh, information so or technology coming out of those. Is, uh, you don't, you're saying you don't believe it's a foreign adversary? No, do not. I do not. I do not believe it's Russia or China okay. or any country. Uh, what to me it looks like more so is, and this kind of, this is more along the lines of like the movie Independence Day, really, if you think about it. I believe these incidences that are happening that seem to be taking place around our military only, really. You know, there, there's not there's not many instances where the public is acknowledging these things, these UAPs and whatnot. It's usually uh, military oriented or uh, you know nuclear silos and things like that. Have you uh, checked out these MUFON lately? No, I have not. No, I have okay. not. Because what's MUFON, going on there? Because MUFON collects data from the average people who are not military who see this kind of stuff all the time. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to and, make that clear. Uh, well, I just wanted uh, to make that clear. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Understood. Uh, you know, uh, uh, but as far as, uh, you know, being uh, told to us uh, uh, media-wise, it, it seems like it's more or less military, um, at, at least what's being reported and things like that. You know, has anybody ever thought that these could be uh, perhaps scouts? Of sorts, for something bigger out there, yeah. a bigger entity, a, a, a bigger uh, a, a race of aliens, perhaps. Um, that's what I'm seeing here. I, just everything that's happening, it seems like they are well, scouting out our defenses. 
Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. I was just going to throw this in because I actually had this part circled next on my list. It says, and this is on page six, by the way, under the category UAP threatened flight, safety, and possibly national security. It says UAP pose a hazard to safety of flight and could pose a broader danger if some instances represent sophisticated collection against U.S. military activities by a foreign government or demonstrate a breakthrough aerospace technology by a potential adversary. And like I said, I'm not saying this is aliens or extraterrestrials, but if it is a foreign adversary, that needs to be investigated as well. Right. There is definitely, you know, obviously the, this nine-page report, this this is a baby step. This is a first step. Uh, this is this is nothing, but it, like like you said, it does it does say something. It says there is much much more to be investigated. Uh, but like I said, my theory is I don't believe it's technology from this earth. I don't believe it's Russia or China. Like I said, our intelligence uh, it, it would be the biggest failure ever. So I just I just don't see that. Um, so I believe it is something extraterrestrial. I believe it's an extraterrestrial uh, technology. Uh, I believe that uh, they know. I believe they know about it. Um, and they did uh, at one point state that, uh, you know, they believe that the, the average Joe in public, uh, it would be too much for them to understand about uh, aliens or UFOs or uh, extraterrestrial uh, technology, for example. Um, so, you know, these, these guys uh, tend to, to hide a lot. And, uh, uh, this nine page report that, 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 that shows me right there. A lot, a lot is being hid at this point. And of course, you know, what they say in the report needs to be done as well. You know, that's nobody saying that that shouldn't take place, but, um, yeah, they're hiding quite a bit again. So just wondering on your thoughts on that, Jeremy. Well, I think you bring up some very good points. I just don't know that it's justifiable that we spend money when it has shown us, you know, history has a lot to do with how I base my assessments on how we move forward, usually in situations. Right. And it comes down to right. even the most simplest things in life. And so when it has right. been shown that we have uh, paid a, uh, individuals a lot of money to investigate and the reports are even more laughable than this one uh, for some people. I'm just right. hopeful right. That, yeah. that, that that's going to be a good return on investment. Right. True. Very true. Um, but what's money these days anyway? You know, uh, money's tossed around like crazy. So um, I wouldn't be surprised with that. But um yeah, no, I just wanted to get my uh, my hat in the ring there. Well, I, I know you that. probably have some other callers on the line there. And yeah. uh, I hope to talk to you soon again, my friend. Absolutely. In Minnesota, where we're awfully popular, I hear. So thank you. Daniel, appreciate that. He had a great report tonight as well. And like I said, it just comes down to wanting to know what it is we are dealing with. Not saying that it is extraterrestrial. However, this report right here in it does make it awfully clear that it's also not ours but yet they could just be saying that and there's that possibility as well 
you can't always take everything at face value. And so you have to remain skeptical about some of this. But I just want folks to know that there is, there's a lot more to it than they'd like you to believe. I mean, read it for yourself. We've got the link on our website and our our social media. You can find it all over the place. It's not exclusive to us. Download it. It's nine pages. Doesn't take long. Read it. When you start to see those little things that start to stand out to you, I think you might come around. All right, we got another call, and also in Minnesota. Hello. Hi, it's me again. This is Jen. Hi, me again. How are you? Oh. <laughs> I'm good. How are you today? <laughs> uh, it's hot. <laughs> hot. Too yeah, hot. I agree. I agree. Hot <laughs> right. Um, so... Right, right. So I'm calling in on the report. I have read the report, and I think that it's just a bunch of mumble, basically. I think that they just threw it out there because they had to uh, submit something to Congress right away. I mean, how can they possibly say that they need more time, they need more analyzing, when they've had this stuff uh, show up? You know, the UAPs or UFOs have shown up since 1947. I mean, you've got plenty of evidence. You've got plenty of data. You've got lots of people that are saying they've been, you know, abducted and everything like that. So why aren't they putting more of the information in there that they have? You bring up a very good point, Jen. And what they're doing is they're doing a misdirection act on us. And let me explain. They are saying that we are only going to investigate sightings going back to 2004. Right. Stuff that may not have as much evidence, may not have as many witnesses, may not have the crashed uh, saucers, the the debris, the alien bodies, if you believe that there that there were from Roswell and from other sightings and from, you know, decades of investigators who have gone out and personally investigated those sightings and talked to witnesses. I'm talking about all of that evidence on those classic sightings. Had they applied this to, you know, sightings from 1947 and beyond, well, I think the findings would be much different, but but they have a much smaller window, and that's why, you know, there hasn't been as much investigation into those sightings. Nor, I mean, can you remember a classic UFO sighting in, in the 21st century? I can't. So. No, um, the only one I remember up here is the one where that officer got uh, hit by a UFO on his car, and the car is actually sitting in the museum over here in Warren. Are you talking about the Lonnie Zamora situation? Uh, I'm not quite sure who the officer was, but I know that he was driving home uh, from off-duty. It's a big story here in Minnesota. And uh, his museum, or the car sits in the museum because uh, he gave the car to them. The officer gave the And it car shows the damage the, that the UFO. The, the officer surrendered the car to the extraterrestrials? No, no. The officer surrendered the car to the museum in Warren, Minnesota. Gotcha. I, it's actually up, pretty interesting. So bring up a good point. I appreciate your call, Jen. Yes, thank you very much. Right. Have a good night. That's the thing. There haven't been recent UFO sightings that have as much evidence. There's 
been those classic sightings that have books upon books upon books that have been written about them. I've got UFO books behind me on the shelf, and you put them together, and there's like an encyclopedia of information about a lot of these sightings. And you just don't find that here in the 21st century because there haven't been, you know, those classic events. All right, let's go to Tennessee. You're on into the paranormal. Who's this? Hey, Jeremy, it's Johnny Cobb. Johnny, you haven't been picked up by a How are you doing? UFO lately, have you? Well, I mean, I have a sign out in the yard. Stop by anytime you want, but not so far. <laughs> Open invitation at Johnny's house. Yeah. That's funny. I, I, it's nice that you have open lines for a change. I'm sure a lot of people enjoy calling in and talking to you. Yeah, we had to do it because, you know, it's the disclosure report. It's the weekend of the disclosure report. And what else are we going to talk about? Exactly. It's the most important. I, I love the way that you're analyzing the, the paperwork and uh, enjoy the phone calls of people and calling and giving their opinion. Uh, I think I think that thing that, that it's really a, it's a monumental moment just to have this disclosure, if you want to call it a disclosure, but the sad part about it is they should have gone all the way back to 1947 and yep. made themselves aware of all, what, 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 what all of us are aware of that, that have been in this community for a number of years, but uh, maybe that will slowly happen. Maybe this is a trickle-down effect. I hope so. Like I said, it's just a preliminary assessment, and we'll have, by the way, Stephen Bassett on the program later on, and he's the disclosure guy. I mean, he's the guy who's like been there lobbying for disclosure and, and for holding congressional hearings on this. And so I think there's more to come. I'm sure Steve has been hard at work for a number of years. I've, I've caught him, caught his interviews many, many times. And, uh, he's always a great guest to have, and he's always very knowledgeable of, of the current situation. One thing I want to make everybody aware of is to keep our good friend, Calvin Park in their prayers. He's uh, dealing with some health issues, uh, and it's an ongoing situation. And he has his good days and bad days, but if everybody could keep, keep him in, in your prayers, we'd greatly appreciate it, too. Absolutely. And Calvin is an abductee from one of the most famous abduction cases in UFO history. That would be the Pascagoula River abduction, along with Charlie Hicks. Exactly. Exactly. What, what do you make of the of the of this paperwork that just came out, if you, if you had to... To fine tune it to, to um, what, what do you say? Do you sense this is just slowly feeding it to us so we can well, a, a, adapt to it and, and adjust read, to it? Let me read this to you. Okay. Daniel Brewer in our news update at the bottom of the hour, in the final words out of his mouth, somebody already dropped me a message about that because to them it really. It really jived with them, and they said, well, that was that was the line right there. That line being the limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. And so there it is right there. They do not exactly. have enough... To base anything on and yet assumptions are already being made that they're saying it's one thing or it's another or not saying it's one thing or another 
which leaves the door open for the obvious. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said earlier is exactly that. If you cannot rule something out, it has to still be part of the equation. Exactly. Well, Johnny, I appreciate well, you I calling. Know you have a, I know you have callers. You. Uh, same with you, man. You're, you're the best. And I know you got a lot of callers in line that, that talk to you and have a good evening. I'll be listening. And you just take care of yourself, man. Yeah, likewise. Good evening from you as well. So it was not necessarily a nothing burger. It just may have uh, not had as many condiments on it as you would have preferred. But, I mean, there's really a lot. There's really a lot to uh, to unpack here. Stephen Bassett will be with us, and we'll have a, an opportunity to continue this conversation about disclosure and about the UAP report delivered to Congress. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest. It is 110 degrees, and I am Jeremy Scott. It's so good to be with you here tonight, nonetheless. If we weren't doing the Facebook live stream, the shirt would be optional, but since we're doing the Facebook live stream, the shirt is now mandatory. Oh boy. And if uh, if you see a little bit of uh, our decorations and whatnot here in the studio flapping around, that's because even though we have AC, here in the bunker, it's not enough, and so we have to have a fan in here circulating the air as well. Otherwise, I will start to sweat, and when I start to sweat, bad things happen. Like, they start growing out of my ear and stuff, and I don't want to subject you all to that. So, it's the program that is called Disclosed, and I'm so glad to have Stephen Bassett with us tonight from Paradigm Research Group. He is the executive director, political activist, a disclosure advocate, executive director of Paradigm Research Group, which was founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind the extraterrestrial-related phenomena. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. And what a time 
to be living in. Just days after a report dropping late on a Friday, if we can call it a report. Stephen, welcome to the program first and foremost. Jeremy, it's great to be with you. And uh, what is your take on the report, or if we just want to call it what it is, a preliminary assessment uh, that dropped, as I said, late on Friday? It wasn't the report. Um, In fact, I'm about to send out a very substantial press release on that later tonight for tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm not sure why the Pentagon went about it this way, but I can maybe guess. So here is what happened. On June the 3rd, I believe, there was an important article in the New York Times. He got a big story. Someone, we don't know who, uh, leaked some information about the report in development. And the New York Times published it right away. Obviously, this must have been from a source that they knew. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. And the, the really, the, only two things were, were leaked, really. Uh, but they were kind of important. One was that the report would show that of the hundred and some sightings that they examined going back to 2004... There was no indication, no, no, nothing indicated extraterrestrial. And then two, however, that the the object's performance uh, was not something that was uh, within the uh, ability of the United States. And that was it. That was uh, quite a uh, leak. Uh, and there's, there's a lot to be said about that. <laughs> Maybe we'll re- revisit it. So that was uh, written up, put out by the New York Times, a big deal. And we didn't hear much for a while, though there's been a lot of articles about the pending report. I mean, I've hundreds, and I'm, I'm, I, I can't even catch up with them, but I've got about 100 I need to log in. <clears throat> and then we got the next significant news was that a briefing had taken place uh, for the uh, intelligence uh, committees, and I think also the armed services committees, be four committees there. They got a classified briefing. And that was interesting. This was on the 16th. And I assume that the briefing was uh, a courtesy. They're giving a brief ahead of the pending report that's coming and so forth. All right. And then uh, nine days go by. And then on the 25th, the very last day, the deadline, uh, the preliminary assessment is issued and linked from the uh, Office of National Intelligence. Uh, And everybody got upset because it was just not much. What happened is this. The actual report, the report that everybody was waiting for, was delivered to the Congress on the 16th. And it was fully classified. Now, what does that mean? It means that the, the DOD made a, a relatively straightforward decision, but they didn't really inform us about it. That, look, we're not going to try to figure out what should be classified and what shouldn't here. We're just going to classify the whole report, deliver it to the Congress, give them a briefing about it. And then I say the Congress, the, the committees, the appropriate committees, and, and they'll decide when to release what. Release none of it. Release some of it. Uh, and maybe we can be of assistance there if they want our advice. But 
and that's all well and good. It's all good. No problem. So by the 25th, the, the committees had already had the report for nine days. On the 25th, they, why did they issue this assessment thing, this preliminary assessment? I think the best answer I can give is that they, they knew that there was so much anticipation that the deadline of the 25th had been talked about in the news, and there had been a lot of news coverage, and they felt, well, the least we can do is put out something on the 25th. So they put out this preliminary assessment, which, if you note, has an appendix, Appendix B, where they actually list in Appendix B what the report was about, because that's what the they're listing what the Intel Senate Intel Committee wanted, and they're putting it in Appendix B. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't the report. The report was delivered on the 16th. 73 pages. See, it's 73 or 78. I think it's 73 pages. It's not a huge amount, but it's plenty, particularly it's if it's densely produced. A lot more than nine. So obviously there's a lot of confusion out there, and I'm going to hopefully straighten that out with a press release that goes out later tonight. Uh, and because and, and it's notable that all of the, the news articles that I'm aware of pretty much reported it as that's the report and talked about how everybody was so disappointed and so forth. So they really missed the boat. Uh, but I'm going to help them out. It's my job. I'm going to send out that press release. So what, what we're waiting for is the intel committees and the armed services committees to – uh, release some of that to us, which they will do as it happens. And this is a coincidence. It wasn't intentional. The deadline was based solely on when the bill was signed. And the bill was signed at such a day in December that it put the deadline at June 25, which happened to be the day before the Congress goes into recess. And so the Congress is, is gone. They're in recess. They've gone back home, and they won't be back until, I believe, October 9. So they got another 12 days or so to uh, to contemplate this this report, uh, what to do about it, and obviously whether to hold hearings. It is very notable that on the day after this uh, classified report was delivered with the briefing, one key member of the committees, I believe he's a chair of one of the committees, but I have to confirm his name, uh, is Congressman Andre Carson. He, he actually told a reporter, maybe he shouldn't have, but he did, that uh, there's going to be hearings on this. Uh, clearly, there's national security implications that need to be looked into. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. So that, that is kind of what confirmed, uh, confirms to me. It's one of the things that confirms to me that this has, in fact, went down. So a report is in the hands of the uh, four key committees of the Congress, Intel and Armed Services, both houses, uh, one member has already said we're going to have hearings, and the Congress is in recess with that report in their possession. And so this is all great. I'm thrilled. It's not a problem. And I would like to suggest the possibility that after they return, I don't think it's going to take very long for – a, a, a more committee chairs, particularly Mark Warner and Marco Rubio, the ranking member of the Senate Intel Committee, to actually also state we're going to hold hearings on this. Uh, hopefully they'll say when, 
and I can give a lot of reasons why it needs to be soon, real soon. Um, and so I'm thinking that could happen by around July, July 11. So look for that. And then they also may say, uh, well, we plan to plan, plan to release um, not uh, 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 you know, appropriate, no longer classified sections of this report to the public on such and such a day. They might say, look, first we're going to hold hearings and then we'll release it. I don't know. But I assure you, th this a lot of people think this was a real letdown. It's not. Uh, things are moving along quite nicely. Nicely. Even there are some things in that preliminary assessment which, which do give some hope that, again, this is going to be taken more seriously. Um, would you agree, Stephen? Well, first of all, the ET issue has always been taken seriously. <laughs> the Department of Defense has been, and, and other elements of the military intelligence complex has been directly engaging the ET issue for 74 years. Our government's known about the ET presence since '47 has had a crash vehicle, probably several over time, and no, and had bodies of ETs in their possession. So obviously they take it seriously. What What is more appropriate to say is, does it look like that the government is starting to take the public's desire to end this 74-year-old truth embargo seriously? And I think they are. Do you think that this will result in a release of Anything that, you know, people have long believed to have been in the UFO locker, so to speak, as far as evidence, or are they going to just... Because this report, they only investigate, you know, sightings from as far back as 2004. I guess what I'm asking is, are, are they going to open this up much wider? There's a process underway here, which is designed to be appropriate, uh, relatively positive, to create some winners and hopefully no losers. It's a public relations process of sorts, but it's not inappropriate. Unfortunately, because they can't be completely candid about that, they're having to sort of fib about some things. I like to say that they need to, they're, they're trying to lie their way out from under the lie, the big lie, which is, of course, the truth embargo. So what's supposed to happen is we need to have hearings first. First, you have hearings, and witnesses will be most likely almost all military, and there's plenty of those available, and they will testify in front of a number of committees. This might go on for days. And these are not the hearings we had in 68 and 69. Those were one-day affairs for show. They were not intended to go anywhere. In fact, they were intended to help shut the issue down. I'm talking the real deal. Watch by untold millions of people. These will be the most watched hearings in history. First, you have that. The testimony will be focused on national security, all the national security implications of this phenomena, and there's plenty to say about that. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to rush to the conclusion that uh, we are being attacked by extraterrestrials and we need a $10 trillion Space Force budget. No, it just means that that is the platform on which hearings should, should begin. Are there national security implications? Let's bring in military people to talk about this, talk about what they've seen and so forth. After enough of this testimony has taken place, it then presents the president a very easy path forward, namely – uh, not to simply wake up one day and surprise us by saying, hey, yeah, I, there's ETs here. I, we should have told you sooner. So sorry. No, that's not good. That would go very badly. 
But rather, the president will then be in a position to say, uh, I've listened to this testimony along with you, my fellow Americans, for these many days. I've then discussed it with uh, the top, my top people at the Pentagon as well as uh, congressional leaders who have also watched it. And we have come to the consensus that this testimony is confirming that that there, this this technology, uh, or certainly some of what is being recorded, is off-world. It's not human. We can't do that. And therefore, there is an extraterrestrial presence here. That instant that the president says that is disclose, the disclosure capital D event, the confirmation event we've been trying to get for 74 years. Then we enter the post-disclosure world. It's only in the post-disclosure world, after the confirmation, that this long, long menu of things that people want to know about, uh, files and uh, research and whatever, uh, just every, the entire list of everything people would love to know about, it's only after disclosure that we're going to be able to start getting access to that, and that will come out, not before disclosure. First, we have to get disclosure, which is a simple thing. There's ETs here. Quite a few people in the world already know that, and those that don't will find out. Uh, and hearings are key to getting to that. That's why we're, we're going to get them. And that's why you hear all this. There's been all these briefings of members of Congress. And so you just have to be patient. Let's get the hearings. Let's get disclosure, which means that Joe Biden will be the disclosure president. Pretty big deal, actually. And then uh, in the post-disclosure world, we the, the, the public and the press, particularly the press, are going to be quite eager to get more information. And the government is going to be uh, almost certainly required to do that. They're going to have to start providing information. Not everything. Not everything right away, certainly. Uh, some things will be classified for a good while. But there's plenty that can be released to the public that would be extraordinarily interesting and important. Uh, and so you can expect that to happen. So that's the process. Stephen, I'm interested in on your thoughts because one of the uh, parts of this report brings up uh, an aspect that I hadn't honestly considered. You know, I've always considered the extraterrestrial possibility, other country, uh, technology from another country, a foreign adversary or something like that technology that's ours that was given to us by the ets or not um and then this fourth category is a non-governmental entity um which is the part that i hadn't ever pondered a thought on which is that a non-government entity could be responsible for some of these ufo sightings is that surprising to you um if you take the entire set of everything that's been seen in the sky moving around that we don't have an explanation for certainly uh, a lot of that may not be extra some of that may not be extraterrestrial and it also may not be important either um so that's kind of a red herring in a way we're we're only con- we're only interested in if there's is there any extraterrestrial technology out there um now but these other things are raised. They're constantly being raised. I get it. Put yourself in the government shoes. You've known about ET since 47, July 47, latest. And there's some evidence that they may have actually known sooner than that. Very tightly held. 
But 47 is important because, well, somebody put out a press release <laughs> and said we have a saucer. So it's a different ball game. So that, that's a so we'll, we'll use that as a benchmark. They've known since 47, 74 years. They know there's an ET presence, but they can't tell you. They've embargoed that from confirmation. And so what do you do when the, the subject is, is, is being discussed? What do you do when it comes up? What do you do when you have to respond to a reporter? What do you do when you have to put out an assessment? Whatever. You can't just say there's extraterrestrials. And so you raise all these other possibilities simply in order to provide an answer. The statement from the DOD, or at least the statement, the, 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 the confirmation that came in the leak to the New York Times, which was reaffirmed in this assessment, that yes, they are concluding that this is uh, uh, not something that our government has. That would be the United States government. But, again, we have no evidence that it's extraterrestrial. And that's actually a lie. They do have evidence that it's that, that this is extraterrestrial. They've had it for 74 years. So that is definitely a lie. The, the Stating that we don't have that technology in our arsenal may not be in a, a lie because the specific events that they're referring to, that tech, we may not have it. But is there an agravitic tech that occasionally turns up that is ours? I believe there is. So in a sense, it's not really a lie, uh, unless some of those observations were our tech, in which case that's a lie too. But again, the issue now is what is serving the process. And serving the process is getting this report out, getting it to the Congress, and moving to hearings when we can start having testimony. So is there a chance that they're from the future? Yeah, but it's less likely than you're winning the lottery on one ticket. Is there a chance that they've been living underground? I mean, literally, they've been, they evolved here and they've just been underground all this time. There's a chance and it's even less than winning the lottery, the Powerball. Is there a chance that they're from another dimension next to ours? Yes, but it's less than winning the Powerball. Uh, and is there a chance that they are, um, what's the other one that's left out? There's another one other. Uh, see, you know, well, another dimension, future, been here all along. Those are the three that usually get raised. There's really no chance. I, I just, for those that like that sci-fi approach and like that kind of, uh, those, those possibilities, which turn up all the time in our, in our wonderful sci-fi movies, of which there have been hundreds and hundreds, like, I don't want to disappoint you, but look, uh, we're a planet. Uh, we're a planet that evolved life. We're a planet that evolved sentient life. We're a planet that evolved sentient life with fingers that built technology that eventually took us to the moon. There are billions of planets out there that could do that. And so others have done that. And they're traveling around space just like we will if we don't blow ourselves up with nuclear weapons. This is not complicated. That is the answer. That is the overwhelmingly likely answer. My guest, Stephen Bassett, our program disclosed on Into the Parabnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Terry Poison.
poised to share new details about its secret investigations into some 120 sightings of unidentified flying objects. There's a stigma on Capitol Hill. Some of my colleagues are very interested in this topic and some kind of, you know, giggle when you when you bring it up. The U.S. government is at last beginning to answer questions about what it knows. Oh my gosh, and what it does. There's footage and records of objects in the skies. We don't discuss that publicly uh, for a range of reasons, but uh, certainly the president supports the ODNI uh, putting together a report and following through on that commitment. It's going to come out anyway, so let's look at it collectively. Let's not be afraid of it, whatever the real information is, and let's tell the truth to the American people about it. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. What is the truth? Searching for the truth. Asking the hard questions as we ponder what could be. You're traveling into the paranormal. My guest is Stephen Bassett, Executive Director of Paradigm Research Group, and we are discussing the UAP preliminary assessment, I guess is a better way of saying it. So folks want to know... I mean, is there going to be an actual report, or is that for uh, only certain eyes only, Stephen? There's a report. It was given to the Congress. It was given under classification and then briefed. There's a report. If you go to the preliminary assessment, the report basically would have addressed all the things listed there in the Appendix B. Again, why the, 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 the Pentagon, as far as I can tell, threw out this preliminary assessment because they knew that everyone was expecting something on the 25th, and they didn't want to disappoint them. They could have put out a notice saying, um, we issued the report to Congress on the 16th, classified. Uh, we didn't think it was appropriate to announce that. We wanted them to be able to review it uh, without being hounded, whatever. But they chose not to do that. So they put out this preliminary assessment, which obviously was going to disappoint lots and lots of people. I don't think they intended to disappoint them. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, People make mistakes. So there is a report. And the issue then is how much of the classified report will be. Just because they classified it doesn't mean it's going to stay classified. (laughs) It just means that they, 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 they treated it as a classified matter. All right. Now, some people are saying, oh, no, that's just the classified section. There's like a huge unclassified section that's coming. I seriously doubt that. By the way, I forgot to leave. Uh, there was one other explanation I forgot to mention that is that is used frequently because people in government can't just say, yeah, you got us. There are ETs here. And that is that the technology that we're seeing belongs to another country. Let me be as clear as I can be. I don't want to leave any doubt here. Please. All right, for those of you that are concerned. The United States of America, which has the largest military defense budget in the world, at one time, about 20 years ago, for a brief period, the uh, military defense budget of the United States was greater than all of the other nations of the world combined. I forget what year that was. It was a notable year. Probably could easily be Googled. And with that said, the technology that we have in our military defense arsenals equals or exceeds the technology in every other country in 
the world, period. All 200 countries and sovereign territories, we have technology as good or better than everyone. And that includes Malta. That includes Siberia. Not Siberia. It's not a country. Uh, Australia, Peru, Russia, China, Soviet Union, period. Okay. So, no. It's not the technology from another country. So we've eliminated all the other possibilities. It's not technology from another country. It's not beings that have been living inside our planet for all of these billions of years and come out once in a while with this incredible tech. It's not from the future, and it's not from a parallel dimension. It's from another planet with a biosphere like ours. And the only reason that the, the, the these other explanations are just completely trashed and thrown aside is that they have been instrumental and part of the 74-year truth embargo the government has imposed as a national security policy in order to prevent confirmation of this issue coming from the president of the United States for national security reasons. In other words, they've lied like hell for 74 years. And it's not just lies, it's an institutional lie. It is structured. It is supported with vast sums of money. It is a very successful program. It's quite remarkable, given that the ETs can come and go anytime they want. And they pretty much succeeded. No head of state has ever confirmed the extraterrestrial presence. And there's a lot of head of states out there. So which one is going to be first? So far, it looks like it's going to be our president, because we are well along the way to start hearings. And hearings will provide the testimony that will give the president the ability to confirm the ET presence. These hearings will be based on national security concerns, totally reasonable. The, the witnesses will be possibly all military, which are the best possible witnesses, because they take an oath when they sign up to serve. They take another oath when they sit down in front of the committee. They have careers that are documented to great extent. In other words, they're incredibly vettable. So you know who they are. They've taken these oaths. They're not going to lie. And so that's what's going down. And uh, when all of this is said and done, we get disclosure. And then afterwards, we'll start getting some real information. And uh, you'll be amazed at how quickly the uh, parallel dimension, inner earth, time traveling, uh, or just really super technology Chinese, all that stuff just disappears uh, like the morning dew. Yes, there are some for sure things uh, in life, and, and maybe that shall be one of them, Stephen. Um, mm -hmm. So was there anything in that preliminary assessment that surprised you? No, nothing. Nothing. It's kind of standard. I mean, again, they, they did repeat. When you read it, there is, there is it, it states... Uh, repeats what uh, was put in that leak that was delivered to the New York Times by we don't know who all the way back in early June that um, we don't have confirmation or proof uh, indicating an extraterrestrial component, which is a lie, and uh, but that this technology is uh, not something that we have, which is partially a lie. Again, I think we have anti-gravitic technology. I think that we've developed it. How far is not clear. Have we achieved the same level as the extraterrestrials? I don't know. But there's, there's, there's quite a bit of evidence out there that points in that direction.
so if the sightings, all the sightings that they're referring to, the 120, do not involve tech that we have, even any gravitic tech that we have, then they can truthfully say, yeah, th- 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 that, that stuff is not something we have. But if any of those sightings uh, were, in fact, uh, U.S. anti-gravitics, it also got picked up were, and, were, and were included in the, in the reports, then, then that, that makes the second statement also a lie. Look, here's the way I like to phrase this. And by the way, this phrase is mine. It is totally trademarked. Uh, just let me know if you're going to use it and we can work out a deal. Uh, what you're seeing happening for the last three and a half years including right up until this very moment, is not some standard, normal truth gathering process. Uh, It's not some real time, we just learn this and we just learn that, and we'll tell you more when we know more. No. What you're seeing is the United States government going through what I call a public relations-driven extrication program designed to extricate the United States out from under the truth embargo that it instituted back in the 40s and 50s in such a way as to be minimally disruptive to the country, uh, be generous to the institutions, create a lot of winners, Meaning, boy, you know, the Congress will win here. The committee chairs are going to win. The members of the, the military services will be winners because it'll be mostly military witnesses representing the services. The DOD has come up with a report. That's nice. Shows that they're trying to help. Uh, the American people win because they're going to see this transparent process leading to disclosure. That's good. Uh, the rest of the world wins because, well, until we tell it, apparently uh, it's not going to get out so the whole world will learn at the same time as we do that we're not alone and the president is the biggest winner the president is a massive winner because the president is not in a position to suddenly have to say well we got to stop we're going to stop lying to you now we're going to tell you that there's ets here no the president will be able to legitimately say i am persuaded by the evidence as many of my top people are and and we are we we need to confirm there's an et presence and there's much more that you need to know and and we're going to get information out and we're going to sort through all of this and find out what's what and uh it's more coming and then at that instant as i said we're in the post-disclosure world and there's another way that this is a winning approach because you see uh and why that has to happen first why why we can't just get some of this out now there's a lot of unpleasant information embedded in the history of this issue very unpleasant information in terms of the conduct of the american government the air force the dod the cia pick an institution everybody that was involved in the truth embargo is is essentially had to uh uh lie and 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 uh, manipulate information and there's been some somewhat in a very inappropriate behavior that mostly concentrated in the early years um and there's a lot of people be irritated about that they're, gonna, they're not going to like it. Well, it's not like the U.S. government hasn't done some really awful things in the past that we didn't like. I mean, it's, that's not going to shock anybody. But there is going to be that. And there's some really, really heavy-duty issues that will emerge with respect to the ETs themselves that are going to be tough to, to convey and then have to answer thousands of questions about. I get that. But, and here's where the win comes in. What happens on the day that 
President Biden becomes the disclosure president, which I think could easily happen in July or early August, is the entire world, not just the United States, but the entire world, thanks to social media and internets and, what, 4 billion computers and whatever, will learn at the same time. I doubt there'll be a person in the world except those living in some of these remote islands in the Indian Ocean that won't know that the ET presence has been confirmed within two or three days. So the whole world learns at essentially the same time. And, well, if you can, and I doubt you can or anybody can, imagine the level of interest, curiosity, and excitement that will come from this. Seven billion people with their hair on fire wanting to know everything about everything right away. You might guess that some of these awkward things about, well, you mean NASA never knew about this? Oh, yeah, NASA knew, but it couldn't tell us. You mean the Air Force lied about Blue Book? You mean the Condon report was blah, blah, go on and on, pick anything. Most of the, the vast majority of people in the world are going, hey, yeah, fine, 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 fine. That was in the past. What do you got for me? What, 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 what can we know now? Tell us about the ETs. Tell us about what's going on. They're just not going to care. There will be groups of people that will go to some lengths to, 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 to raise all of the awkward and, and um, perhaps untold aspects of this. Some people will want to sue. Some people will want committees, whatever, and there may be some. Overall, it's just not going to be that bad. And not to mention the fact that a majority of the people that were involved in the truth embargo are dead. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're beyond uh, shame. So it's not a problem. And the ones that are there are kind of late to the game. And you know, it was already in place when they came on board. And it's just not going to be that bad. Now, stuff coming out ahead of the truth embargo is ending, ahead of disclosure. Well, that's, that's tough. That, that's definitely a much different matter. And so getting the disclosure is key to this public relations process, which is why we're going to have disclosure. And the, the events that triggered this process, that, that put this process in motion, leading to where we are today, occurred over what will become a very well-taught, studied, 65 days in human history and those 65 days is the time to cover the launch of the to the stars academy on october 11th of 2017 and the two new york times articles that were published on december the 16th of 2017 those articles being written by and written about information provided them by the to the stars academy people that was launched on October 11th. Those two things combined, particularly the New York Times article, set in motion finally after 70, how many years now? 70 years. It's 2017. So it was the 70th anniversary, 70th year anniversary of uh, Roswell. Set in motion the now unstoppable, unslowable, well, and it's slow. It was slow initially. Process leading to the to the disclosure event. There's going to be no Condon report, no backtracking on this, no kick the can. Uh, none of that's going to work. It's not going to happen. Uh, we're on a straight path to disclosure. That doesn't mean there's not going to be some 
some uh, some maybe a few curveballs thrown and some people trying some desperate thing or that or whatever. It doesn't matter. The Tahoe's embargo is done. Uh, we just need to stick a fork in it. And so this preliminary assessment is just part of the the overall plan. It's just one chapter in in the book, so to speak. It's a small chapter. It's basically the the Pentagon. Uh, trying not to disappoint people that wanted to have something to be released on the 25th, right? This assessment is nothing. The report is is what is – and the report is not going to be – the report is not some in-depth analysis of the history of this issue. That's not what the Senate Intel Committee wanted. That report would be 10,000 pages. It's simply a respond to the Intel Committee's desires and so forth and what they requested, which is helpful. The most helpful thing about this report is not even what's in it so much because it's limited in what it could say. The helpful thing about this report is that it shows the American people that the Pentagon and the Navy and and, and all the other agencies that were involved in putting it together, which is listed in the appendix, by the way, it's quite a few. It shows that they're trying to help. In other words, it's good public relations. And I was kind of alluding to, you know, a little bit of that, you know, an official government document with a seal uh, from the U.S. on it. And and because of that, uh, I, I think it holds water. I don't know how much weight, though. It might sink. I don't know. Uh, Stephen Bassett with Paradigm Research Group is with us, and we're talking about the disclosure preliminary assessment the uap document that i've been reviewing all weekend long it's still sitting on my desk here still looking at it almost every time i come into the studio there it is and and just sitting there uh and we heard from a lot of folks who were interested in telling us what they had to say about this topic and uh, everybody views it from um, a slightly different angle. Stephen, though, has been there and has worked on, on many fronts to get us to this point. So you're thinking this is going to come rather quickly here. I mean, sometime this summer. I think you're going to have something happen as soon as they get back into from recess. Remember, oh, oh, I, I forgot to mention. Look, I got some feedback from some people that had talked to some of the people that got the briefing. Now, it wasn't – no classified stuff was revealed or anything, uh, uh, but essentially what uh, they, they were told was that it blew their minds. What can I say? It just blew their minds. Their hair was on fire if they had hair. Uh, that report, even though it was limited in what they could do, they could only go so far, was still – obviously impressed them substantially and in case you're wondering this is about national security yeah it's okay it's a legitimate national security concern believe me most of the members of the intel committees know that dts have been turning off our nuclear weapons they have never held a hearing on it because that would pretty much blow the truth embargo sky high uh but they know it now i'm not going to argue with any member of the dod that does that thinks that uh, turning off our nuclear weapons repeatedly is not a national security concern. You have to be an idiot not to think that. And so there's plenty of national security concerns, which which 
provides a perfectly safe political platform on which to hold hearings. Nobody is going to say, well, why are you holding hearings on this? This is all nonsense. No, that's not going to happen. Now, if Christopher Mellon had gone up in the hill to brief, which he 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 was been doing for you know, off and on for the last two and a half years, if he went up on the hill, uh, not with witnesses, but with uh, with uh, ET researcher types, right? Uh, uh, trying to impress upon the members of Congress the need to hold hearings so that we could uh, uh, address how we're going to build the embassies to greet the ETs when they finally arrive, those hearings will never happen. They're not going to do that, obviously. I can think of a a, a dozen uh, other options. They're not going to happen. National security is how you get the hearings. And we'll hold that thought with Stephen Massett disclosed. The name of this episode of Into the Paranormal. He's with Paradigm Research Group. And more coming up with Stephen on Into the Paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Scott from the cool dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest disclosed our program tonight. Stephen's website, and he's got a Facebook page as well, but ParadigmResearchGroup.org, Paradigm Research Group on Facebook, and look for a press release later on this evening, says Stephen, where he's going to clarify a few things such as what uh, some of the points he's making here on the program. And, Stephen, you were talking about the national security implications of this, and that's a problem, uh, a point in this that many forget about. Uh, they just say, well, it's, it's not aliens, it's not ETs, and, and, and at no point do they actually come to that conclusion in this assessment. But the other part of that is that it could be some sort of national security aspect and as you've already stated a report that says the likelihood that that's another country maybe not as high as some might might believe and so what does that really leave look but it only leaves extraterrestrial so but they can't say that um and i get that as far as the national security issue uh it's obvious if you uh, if you read the report, um, this preliminary assessment, rather, the word threat is used seven times and national security is used five. So at minimum, this this particular document, which is really not worth much at all, um, is 
supporting the idea that it's a national security matter, which is exactly what every committee chair in Congress needs. They need to have a very legitimate reason to start calling witnesses in before their committee under oath to discuss the UAP issue. If anybody asks, why are you doing that, congressman or congresswoman, the answer would, well, there's clearly some national security implications here, and we need to uh, we need to uh, to find out more about it. And there are witnesses that are prepared to testify under oath, so let's get them in here. Who's gonna Who's gonna argue with that? I mean, that, that again. Remember, I said public relations. You, 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 if you call a hearing, you better have a good reason for it, or you're going to look really stupid. And this has happened many times, by the way. They have they have called a lot of totally unnecessary hearings for political reasons over the years. Uh, in fact, it's become kind of an <laughs> epidemic. But uh, uh, and we don't want that. And this issue doesn't require that. This is a this is a bipartisan matter, completely bipartisan. There's no reason for anybody to put on any partisan polit- political posturing. True. Uh, they can actually act like sensible, intelligent people asking intelligent questions of members of the military. Everybody wins here. I mean, the, the Congress so badly needs this. Millions of people watching them doing a good job and acting like adults. Believe me, they badly need this, and I think they want it. And by the way, let me let me just uh, approach this uh, whole assessment thing by uh, from another angle. First of all, the... The request from the Senate Intel Committee was known as early as January, July of last year. That's when it came out that Rubio had put that language in the in the bill. Okay, it was known, it was published. So they've actually known for a year that they were going to have to do something. But the deadline was predicated on the bill being signed, and the bill wasn't signed until December, and so they had six months from December, six months. But actually known for a year. So the idea that after a year of being aware this could happen, that the report is going to be six pages? This is funny. I, and, I, and I'm amazed that the media didn't get it. I, I just, what, what can I say? Uh, they're not, they're not, well, they're, all, they're always slow on the uptake on this issue. They've been behind the curve on the ET issue for, for seven decades. I've done what I could do. I'm not... You know, I, I have no apologies there. I do what I could do. But uh, let me just give you one example. This, this this thing, which is basically six pages long, I mean, they could have put in just a bunch of paragraphs from an Abokov novel, but basically, it's basically six pages. It, it wasn't, there was any, this could have been written in about a day. And and it may, it may have been, and it wasn't really gone over very well. Let me give you one glaring, glaring example. Uh, on unforced era on page six it says this although a u.s air force data collection has been limited historically the u.s air force began a six-month pilot program on november 2020 to collect in the most likely areas to encounter uap you think somebody at the dod watched project blue book on history channel you think at least somebody did? <laughs> somebody that was involved in this and would kind of point out, well, you know, the U.S. Air Force collected data from about 1951 to 69, thousands of reports. There was a massive thing called the Blue Book File. Are you aware of that? But data collection has been limited. This is, this is just stupid beyond belief. 
so I mean, I mean, that's not a big deal. I'm just saying it points out that there's no effort went into this. This was nothing. It's it's not the report. The report is what is in the index. And that is what was delivered to the Congress back on the 16th. And that doesn't mean there isn't more they could come up with. Uh, so, again, this is funny in a way. But I'm going to send out a press release later tonight so that nobody can blame me uh, for letting this misconception last any longer than necessary. But uh, But it serves a purpose. It served a public relations purpose. Something needed to come out on the 25th, right? And they they classified the whole report for reasons that make some sense. So it couldn't be that. So what are they going to do? Create up another report that's not uh, – no. They, but Or they could have just put an announcement saying, look, the report was delivered on the 16th, and, and so eventually the, you'll get that from the intel committee. But somebody decided, no, let's put something out, right, so that people will get something on the 25th that they've been waiting on, and that will be good. No, it really wasn't good. In fact, you just bamboozled all the media in the world. They've written a bunch of stupid stories. You got a lot of people upset unnecessarily. And so they screwed up. Well, you know, there are screw-ups and there are screw-ups. This isn't the Vietnam War. That was a real big screw-up. This is just a public relations blunder of sorts. But again, they saw it as a public relations thing, meaning put something out so that people will get something and they'll feel okay. Uh, but it, it serves another purpose because it does reinforce the national security implications of this issue. It makes the key statement that they wanted to get out, namely, we don't got it, but it, we don't know if it's ET. There's no evidence for that, which is, of course, not true. Uh, and that's something. That's something. Okay. And it looks official. It's got all kinds of bold print and non-bold print, and it's got a lot of uh, acronyms. I love the fact that the entire Appendix A, which is about five inches, is definition of key terms. And this is what they listed. Unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, they define that. And then a UAP event would be a holistic description of an occurrence during which a pilot or aircraft witnessed a UAP. And UAP incident, a specific part of that event. And the UAP report, the documentation of a UAP event to include a verified chains of custody and basic information. Wow. I, I, if I hadn't had those definitions available to me, I don't know if I could have possibly gotten through that report. <laughs> This is high school level stuff. Uh, that report is filled with acronyms. They could have explained it. But they wanted, you know, they're trying to. Hey, look, I've said this for many years, and I'll say it again. The truth embargo makes fools of us all. One way or another, it makes fools of us all. I don't care if you're a researcher, you're a contactee, you're an Air Force general, you're a president. You're a CIA operative, foreign policy person. I don't care who, or just 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 a regular person. Because I mean, if you're just a regular person out in the street living your life, you've been duped for 64 years. I think that's being made a fool of. So yeah, it makes a fool of everybody at some point or another. And this report is another example of the truth embargo. In this case, making a fool out of the DoD. Uh, probably, if you had to point to one. Uh, entity 
that has been made a fool of the most is the Air Force. Their track record here is beyond bad. It's it's pretty awful, and 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 I don't envy them. Uh, and it may explain why, in all of this time, virtually nothing has come from the Air Force. Navy is all over this thing. Air Force, you would think, kind of it's the Air Force. Fortunately for the Air Force, these were Navy jets, so they didn't have to say anything. And so why is the Air Force completely silent? All I can say is that the Air Force record in this is so bad, which includes the $12 million phony report that uh, Air, Air Force Secretary Schiller would not put together in order to try to keep Bill Clinton's desire to get the UFO files at bay and also Steve Schiff. The mogul balloon fiasco. We paid $12 million for that. It was a complete bogus lie. And that's just the beginning. So the Air Force has got the most to answer for post-disclosure. And I think their decision was, let's just keep a low profile here. Let's don't say anything. Let's don't attract any attention. And maybe people will just forget all of that stuff. Maybe this statement here, this genius statement uh, in the report that uh, – uh, although USAF data collection has been limited historically, a lot of reporters will read that and uh, they'll forget about Blue Book. It's like, oh, yeah, and they just won't even think about it. And, and, and they'll dodge the bullet. No. No, that's not going to happen. I think the Air Force, if they're smart, if anybody's listening in the Air Force to this broadcast, they need to get out in front of this issue immediately, do something, anything helpful. It can be public relations, whatever. It doesn't matter. Do something to show that you're not simply hiding out in caves somewhere. Uh, you are a very important service, and you have distinguished your, yourselves many times and, and helped protect the country. And Lord knows you are valued. But if you think you can hide from this, you can't. And eventually you're going to have to explain your actions. But as I said before explaining those actions going all the way back to 1950s in the post-disclosure world won't be all that painful people will say yeah i get it yeah i know blue book was a was really not you know righteous uh, it was a deliberate attempt to to not get there and the kind of report which you authorized you know it's not but yeah it's okay it's all right man look we we we, we all we really want to know is about et's where, how many? Where are they from? What are they doing? What's going on? That's what we're really interested in. And, you know, we'll talk about that stuff later. Now, I don't know how many in the Air Force understand that. I think, by and large, they probably can't imagine disclosure happening. I mean, this thing's gone on so long that – and I have a lot of colleagues who feel the same way. They just can't conceive of it happening, uh, meaning past this prologue. If something has been hidden for 75 years, it's going to have to be hidden for 75 more. And that's not the way the world works. So they just can't get it, and I get it. So they just figure, let's just not say anything. Well, I think they need to think that over. The final two parts of this report uh, or assessment, expand collection and increase investment in research and development. And in relationship to the Project Blue Book investigation, I mean, that was, if you include sign and grudge, a 17-year investigation that began about five years after the Roswell incident and was a lot more expansive than this six-month pilot program that they refer to in this report, which spanned November, I guess, through 
what, about April uh, of this year. I guess, Stephen, I'm not confident that if we spend more money that we're really going to get uh, anything besides, I guess, a final conclusion such as what came with Project Blue Book. What's your take on that? Not a lot of thought went into this. This is just another example. I think they had a couple of two-stripers to sit down and knock something off, and they looked it over real quick and said, get that out. It's just okay. – so it's like, all right, so what they need is uh, you know, resources for more investigations. Uh, well, look, you can't blame them for throwing that in because every service is always going to take an opportunity to maybe get some more money. They can never have enough, and I get that. And and so they just kind of raise that. You know, I mean, it's just throw it out there. Who knows? Somebody might think, oh wow, okay. And a couple of members of Congress will put in for maybe a billion or a hundred billion or whatever. But no, they have been investigating this issue for seventy-four years in USAPs, deeply classified programs. God knows how much investigation they've done. And so every all this other stuff is just public relations, the UAP task force at ONI, the the interim, uh, the, the 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 pilot program, ATIP, ATIP, ATIP was just something set up to to satisfy Harry Reid, and it ended up turning to be a very significant thing because it 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 was a source, uh, it, it was part of that story, and it definitely attracted an enormous amount of attention. A lot of people thought that's that's where they investigated the ET issue. What can I say? I, and not everybody studied this field. Not everybody knows the history of this. I, I don't expect them to know it. But ATIP is nothing. They have crash vehicles. They have bodies. They've had them for 70 years. You think they're just sitting in a warehouse somewhere like the Lost Ark and they don't fool with it? They have USAP programs that have been studying this thing for decades for untold billions of dollars. But they can't tell you that. And since they can't yep. tell you that, they have to maintain the truth embargo. And keeping people at bay is part of that. And the way you keep people at bay is, that, well, you know, we have this program over here and we have this program here and we did this and we did that. And so and, and that and unfortunately and sadly, that has worked with the top newspapers in the country for decades. They just bought it. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got, got a little program here. Oh, okay. Fine. You, and you're you're not totally unaware. Oh no, no, we're not unaware. That's sad. These are the top papers, huge papers. Now that's changing. In the last three years, believe me, the newspapers are starting to finally figure it out. You know, this could be the biggest news story of all time. Maybe we should assign a couple of reporters to it. Now I was trying to get him to do that 20 years ago, but hey, history moves. As history moves, and I, I didn't have the clout that some people have. If, if I had had the money of Milner, that Russian that kept throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at SETI, the program to discover extraterrestrial intelligence, and it's done such a wonderful job, I might have been able to really drive this issue, but we never had that kind of money. Nobody wants to put money into crazy UFO stuff. Why? Because it's crazy. Well, why do you think it's crazy? Because the government says it's crazy. Oh, okay. You see how it goes? 74 years of this. This report, this 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 transition, what, I mean, this um, preliminary. I love the word preliminary. Preliminary to what? Uh, this preliminary I'm report. something final now because I got preliminary. Yeah. No, this, this, <laughs> no final. 
Here's the deal. We need to get a preliminary. Yeah, well, it's preliminary to hopefully congressional hearings. So <laughs> uh, let's let's hope that the members of the Intel and Armed Services Committees uh, realize they've been handed the opportunity to get these hearings going and it's going to make them all superstars. And so they call for hearings. I'm pegging it right around October 11. It doesn't mean one of them. See, there's a lot of them. There's, there's four. So it's possible even during the recess, somebody's just going to not be able to hold themselves back, and somehow they'll give an interview back home saying, yeah, as soon as we get back in town, we're holding hearings. Who knows? But assuming that doesn't happen, I'm thinking there'll be a formal statement. I'm thinking around October 11. And then people want to know, okay, well, did you get a report? Well, I'm going to make sure they get asked that question. And so, yeah, yeah, we did get a report. When did you get it? We got it on the 16th of, of June. Uh, why didn't you share it? Well, it was classified, and we needed time to review it. I mean, this is a big deal. We, we needed time to review it. And then recess came, and it just didn't make sense to throw it out there or try. We just didn't have enough time to make decisions about when to release this. And we had other th considerations. And so, yeah, so it's been a while. I mean, the 16th to uh, uh, July 9 is, what, 23 days? A little long. But, it, but you know, in, in congressional time frames, that's nothing. And so, okay, we're back. We've read it. We've reviewed it. And we're making decisions now about what we can release to the public. And uh, we, we're going to initiate hearings on this subject uh, and explore the national security issues. That's what's supposed to happen. And then this assessment, this preliminary thing will disappear in the dustbin of history. It's, it's, it's not important. It's just not. Do you think that the ATIP, uh, or excuse me, not ATIP, but the uh, To the Stars Academy is going to um, have anything that they might re be revealing this year? Oh, uh, no. I mean, to the Stars Academy is kind of in a <clears throat> um, suspended mode, uh, which is fine. Uh, there's not much you can do. They don't, they, they're not able to raise money, <clears throat> as far as I know. But And three of their key people stepped out, Elizondo and, and Mellon and, and Justice, I believe for several reasons. But one of those reasons, I think, is that in order to participate in setting up the hearings and provide their input, and they've got plenty of input, obviously. They, they can't be operating from a public benefit corporation involving others and, and involving uh, uh, mission statement, multiple mission statement stuff. They need to be civilian consultants in a sense. They need to be civilians, and that's what they are now. So they left, and the TTSA, is, is its place in history is secured. I mean, don't worry. And, and after disclosure, I could see the TTSA suddenly getting – turning up all the burners and and uh, probably putting out another offering and maybe raise $100 million uh, because there's things they could do. I mean, there, there's going to be plenty of organizations raising lots of money in order to to rock and roll in the post-disclosure world. The TTSA has got a head start. So I, I, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be a, a factor in the post-disclosure world. What exactly admission statement will be, I don't know, but there's plenty to do. Stephen Bassett, Mike Gaston, we've got one more segment left with him. Disclosed. Into the Paranormal Continues. I'm Jeremy Scott. Paranormal News. I'm Brad Bernards. 
Thousands of years of history tell us drought is nothing new. Sometimes we prevail, often we don't. A bleak look into the future tells us we've seen nothing yet. With a mix of shifting climates, poor water management practices, and growing population densities, promising a pandemic of catastrophic droughts awaits, according to reporting in ScienceAlert.com. Dr. Jane Lubchenko, with the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, says droughts are not studied nearly as much as other natural disasters. Drought is among the most damaging and least understood of all natural hazards. The fact global warming is redistributing our water is already a grim reality many around the world are forced to deal with. A key part of NASA's Hubble Space Telescope's main instrumentation has failed. For well over a week now, the operations team has been running a multitude of tests to figure out what caused the computer issue that has taken Hubble out of commission since June 13th. The cause was first believed to be a degrading memory module. After switching to a backup module while obtaining more diagnostic information, the computer failed to restart. This is an absolutely vital component. It serves the giant orbital telescope's scientific operations by coordinating and controlling various functions. On top of other unforeseen issues since the 2018 gyroscope failure, Hubble is once again in safe mode until the main source of the malfunction is discovered. Hubble launched in 1990 and has captured imaginations and deepened our knowledge of the cosmos. This is Daniel Brewer for Paranormal News. There's more news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. The U.S. government is now acknowledging the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP. There's stuff flying in our airspace. We don't know what it is. We need to find out. Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, it can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space. And, oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsions, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. The New York Times reporting that intelligence officials are worried the videos show America's adversaries may be racing ahead of the U.S. in developing elite weapons technology. Elite weapons Exploring the possibilities of the subjects you've always wanted to know, and those you never knew existed until now. Into the Paranormal with Jeremy Scott. And I'm with Stephen Bassett of Paradigm Research Group, paradigmresearchgroup.org. And uh, Stephen's been talking with us about this supposed assessment, more like a summary, but... Not really a summary with all of the facts being considered. A summary for the consumption of the peons, I guess, <laughs> is a way of saying it. Uh, Stephen was talking uh, with us before the break. Uh, I had asked him about To The Stars Academy. That's the outfit from Tom DeLong, and he's the former Blink-182 guy and was interested in UFOs and started this group and brought in people like, Luis Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and others. And what Stephen was telling us before the break is that we've seen those guys start to separate, and there's reason for that. And so 
what it sounds like, Stephen, is that it, it's all kind of coming together here where in order for these hearings to commence, we'll need these people to be private citizens rather than being a part of, of an organization. Yeah, it, it's it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate. I, I think uh, the, the negotiations of hearings is serious business. And, uh, and and people from the outside are often involved because they, they have the witnesses, access to witnesses and so forth, and they know a lot. And uh, again, if they're attached to another organization, it's a little awkward. So I think they stepped out for that reason. Uh, Elizondo has stated that he also stepped out because he supposedly was getting a lot of pressure from some members of the TTSA. Uh, to overemphasize the threat thing. I don't know about that. I, I can't speak to that too much, but um, I don't think it was a divorce, really. I think, now we haven't heard anything from Justice. And Mellon's been relatively quiet, though he does have a website, ChristopherMellon.net, and uh, he, he occasionally puts some, but he's definitely stepped back. Um, that doesn't mean he isn't active. I mean, he, he could be up on the hill anytime he wants to be, and he could be talking to members of Congress. He is the political guy. He is the one that was briefing briefing these people the most. Uh, that may still be going on. Again, this is these things come together. I'm not. I don't want to intrude. Uh, but everything is pointing towards hearings. One member has actually said we're going to have them. I expect a few more to say something similar, um, possibly during the recess. More likely after they get back. And I don't think the the public's patience for this will be great. I, I think once they announce they're going to have hearings, the public is going to say, okay, next week, that works for me. Uh, they're not going to accept, well, man, sometime in the next nine months. You know, there's a lot on our plate right now, a lot of things. There's always something on their plate. And most of the time, they can't get anything done. Anyway, like they spend all their time spinning their wheels and accomplish nothing. Uh, I don't think the public's going to accept that. Besides, a couple of committees, say an intel and an armed service committee, could hold very important hearings on this issue with military witnesses, and the, the business of government doesn't stop. It goes on. There's committee hearings happening all the time. And so I don't think the public the – pub, the public's anticipation uh, – one of, the, one of the, the brilliant aspects of Rubio's maneuver, and believe me, it was a political maneuver and a good one. He wasn't running for office in 2020. He was safe. He has every intention of running for president, of course. In fact, he might even be thinking he can ride this UAP issue all the way into the White House. Maybe he can. But by putting this 180-day time frame in there, he knew it was going to build a lot of expectation and get a lot of press, including press about him. He's gotten a lot of coverage out of this, favorable coverage. And if you're in the Senate these days, getting favorable coverage is really hard to come by. So politically, brilliant move. And it has built all this expectation. And, and generated all these articles. And so if, the, if somebody, if the Congress says, or the committee chairs say, yeah, we should have hearings. I don't know, the fall, maybe after the first of the year, I think the public is going to rise up in social media and say, I don't think so. Uh, I think they're going to get pounded. So I, I think they're going to be smart. Uh, they can put hearings like this together in 10 days, really, without any trouble. Just identify the witnesses, tell them they're coming, pay their airfare. Put them up in a hotel, bam, you can have them like that. They, they've put together hearings on 24 hours' notice. Now, I'm not saying they would do that here, but uh, there's no reason we'd have to wait more than 10 days or so uh, to have the hearings get underway, at least the initial ones.
Eventually, I think you'll see two or three going at the same time. And then, then the problem they're going to have is that <laughs> these hearings are going to be watched by a huge audience, hundreds of millions, maybe, maybe a billion people will watch these hearings. And you're going to have these other committees that are not at that, in that genre of armed services or, or intel, maybe like the House Science Technology Committee and so forth, that are going to be saying, we want. Hell, even the Agricultural Committee said, look, we want hearings. There's got to be an agricultural connection to this. Let's get some witnesses in here. I want to I wanna be chairing a committee hearing with 200 people watching. So they're going to have to fight off the other committees who are going to want to be part of this uh, because, well, it's just not appropriate. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. I, and I'm, I'm off this two blocks from the White House and 11 blocks from the Capitol, and I assure you I'm going to be in those – I'm going to be in the audience. Uh, that's guaranteed. Uh, and by the way – uh, the, the the pandemic has played a role in this, uh, I think, in terms of the timing in a lot of ways. I think the vaccination level by the end of July is going to be pretty good. And Washington is actually stronger than the rest of the country. And so I don't know what the national vaccination level will be, but it'll be higher in Washington, D.C. There'll be no and the, and, and the mayor has opened the city now. So there is no reason why we can't have full hearings with testimony in, in, in the uh, in the Capitol, in the meeting rooms. Uh, the briefing rooms with audience. I think we will. There's no reason not to, and I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll have. They'll have an audience. Th- this is way too big a deal to play uh, footsie with. The, the maximum uh, exposure, maximum uh, transparency, uh, and everybody wins. Do you think that there is a possibility that if it is aliens? here right if it is a not if it is aliens okay and then it's extra, extraterrestrials i don't mean to be picky okay. but there is there's a reason we use the term extraterrestrial alien is got too much uh, baggage uh extraterrestrial is the term uap is the term by the way if you want to know why uap is important uh it's because it allows the department of defense to put out a preliminary assessment that doesn't have ufo in it Exactly. In other words, that they, comes with a certain stigma, right? Yeah, a stigma that they created. I mean, they spent 74 years ridiculing, disparaging, and undermining everything connected with UFOs. And now, as things get real, the last thing they want to do is have to write reports with UFO in it. And so uh, they, they have correctly embraced an effort that's been going on for a while. I, I'm part of it. And to let's get rid of this UFO term. It's, 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 it's 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 the government term. It's the truth embargo term. We don't want this term. Screw this term. We want UAP. And the probably the turning point there was when Hillary Clinton went on Jimmy Kimmel and said there's a new term now and it's UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. I guess that kind of put the stamp on it and, and it's been making progress ever since. Uh, I don't want to demean it too much because UFO was the banner under which thousands and thousands of Americans and people around the world tried to develop and research this issue, engage this issue. Uh, It's kind of our term in a way, but it's a term that was handed to us by the government for a reason. And so the government ruined it, but that doesn't mean we should then somehow demean it too much and and undermine what these people did. So uh, I'm just saying, let's, let's acknowledge everything they did. But let's move on to UAP. Fair enough. So the ETs, do these ETs, you think, have superior weapons? And and if they do, uh, what are they waiting for? 
There's no indication they have any weapons at all. That doesn't mean they can't do things. So in the Iran Iran case, the Iran fighter case, they they turned off the electronics. They do this from time to time, and the jet starts to fall out of the sky, and then the electronics come back on. Now that would be uh, considered a defensive move. So is that a weapon? I I don't know. Um, but the incidents of ETs, one of the few cases that kind of is weapony was the Robert Jacobs case, where the, the amazing event where he uh, was working in the Air Force, and he, he was part of the camera team that filmed uh, launches for to record them. And this was a launch of a test missile with a dummy warhead, and uh, a craft came in, started circling it while it was traveling at 8,000 miles an hour, and shot beams and knocked the thing off. And that was on film, and he, he's testified to that repeatedly. He's a professor, retired now, very distinguished guy. And, uh, you know, the, the usual people showed up and took everything away and said, don't ever talk about this. Is that a weapon? I don't know. Uh, but the idea, the idea that they are weaponized is, is not much there, not much there at all. And let's be clear. When they turn our, our weapons off, they, they could have melted them. They could have blown the sack base up if they had weapons, but they didn't. They turned them off. We turned them back on. So let me assuage some concerns people have. I know enough of the military witnesses. I, I know some military witnesses. Enough that in these hearings are held, unless they handpick certain witnesses for specific kinds of testimony to their liking, which will probably be figured out pretty soon, and then they're going to take a huge hit in the public eye. I don't think they'll do that. They bring in the appropriate witnesses. I believe me, a lot of these military witnesses are going to tell you these, these, these craft are not a threat. So their own people are going to be telling them that. If they are a threat, we're, we're screwed. So let's just, just, it's pointless to, to believe, well, not, it's not pointless. The, the threat concept is key to getting hearings and key to getting the media involved and key to moving this thing forward. I get it. Uh, and there will be people that want to take advantage of that. They want to say, okay, look, we got that in play. Now let's really drive that thing home. Let's convince people they're absolutely an existential threat, and we need trillions of dollars. We need them tomorrow. Let's get that money. And uh, just – I've got a bank in Switzerland. You can deposit it there, and then we'll spend it wisely. No. Uh, but there will be people thinking like that. You may see a maneuver in that direction, but ultimately it's not going to work. Uh, they are a problem. They have some awkward behavior. There's much to know. But are they an existential threat to the human race? I think the chances of that are almost zero. Uh, are they a threat to our nation states? No. Um they're not a threat. What can I say? They they are a potential threat. And by the way, in the early days of the uh, TTSA and the developments after October 2017, uh, potential threat was thrown around. And then it got shortened to threat. I get that. So you heard threat a lot. But it's always potential threat. And people say, what's the difference? Here's the difference. If your neighbor is standing out in front of your front door, with a chainsaw in his hands that's running, and he's looking really sternly through your peephole, he is a threat. If your neighbor is next door with his chainsaw cutting down some trees, he's just a potential threat. That's the difference, okay? Yeah. 
he might just decide to come over and attack your front door with a chainsaw. But no, he's cutting down. He's, so uh, the difference is, is, is important, uh, but not surprisingly, you know, language is language. There's so many people involved. Are they a potential threat? Yes. Are they a threat? No. Uh, should we still uh, consider all national security aspects? Absolutely. What will the outcome of that be? Disclosure. Then after that comes more knowledge and more analysis. And we'll hopefully have one less thing to worry about. Yeah, there is a threat out there. There's a threat out there. A really, really bad threat. An existential threat. It's called nuclear weapons. There's 20,000 of them. And the risk of some of them getting used is greater than it's ever been. And so you almost hear nothing from politicians at all about the threat of nuclear weapons. Once in a while, virtually never comes up. The press occasionally writes the odd article. We just come to accept it. So at the same time, we have come to basically casually accept the fact that at any minute we can all be basically turned into nuclear piles of ash or ha have a world created that will all die in very quickly thereafter. Awful, terrible, awful deaths by the billions. That's, you know, hey, what can you do? But when it comes to ETs, oh, man, we've got to consider these things could be really a major threat. So what this is saying is that intellectually and geopolitically, everything is friggin' upside down. And any of you who have spent much time upside down know it's not an optimal position to live your life, whether it's taking a shower, typing, whatever. It's not good. And so we've got to turn things right side up, which also means maybe getting deep into common sense. So nuclear weapons, absolute existential threat. ETs, a possible potential threat, but almost certainly not an actual threat. That's the reality. Is the press approaching in that way? No. Are the politicians approaching in that way? No. Okay. So what can I say? That's why you have activists. That's why activists are needed. Their job is to turn things, if they can, right side up so that regular people can go, oh, that's what it looks like. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you coming on the program tonight and weighing in on this report, uh, not-so-report uh, assessment, <laughs> whatever we're calling it. <laughs> preliminary, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm, it, yeah, when you dangle the word preliminary, I'm expecting final. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think I don't think they edited the damn thing. I think somebody wrote it just put preliminary in for the hell of it. <laughs> they, they go, ah, what the hell? They just yeah. get, get it out there. They, they, they're expecting something on the 25th. Uh, at times, a wasting. Right? Let's get something up on the site. Okay. Uh, hey, what can I say? I, I, I'm certain that the report that was delivered to the committees back on the 16th was far more erudite, far more significant. And far more carefully written. And I eagerly await seeing as much of that as they'll let out. Is there a chance that they release 50% of it? Mm. Um, if, you look at, if you look at the list in Appendix B and, and what was in the, in the Intelligence Appropriations Bill comments section, I think 80, 90% of it could be released, frankly. Because they're not going to – I assure you, it's not going to include – it's not going to include where the USAP programs are operating or where the, where the research facilities are or who are the heads of all of the, the research programs. No, it's not going to include any of that, right? Based on what they asked for, it's going to include a lot of 
assessment and this and that and a few details and some some acronyms. Uh, so there's, I just, but initially, initially, uh, in terms of delivering it to them, look, you'd like them to have a look first before suddenly it's in the New York Times, right? Because they need because you know just like with this preliminary thing, people misconstrue. They don't understand. They don't get it. So give the committees the chance to review, and then they can intelligently ask questions about it. But I would say 80 to 90 percent should be released. That would not shock me at all. When we were talking about you know uh, spending money earlier and how much money has been spent and enlighten mm-hmm. us on that, how much more do we spend on the disclosure? <laughs> hey, the cost of holding hearings. It's nothing, right? Oh, my God, nothing. Doesn't cost that much at all. Not a few hundred thousand blue book type investigation. And there's nothing to investigate. We've been investigating it for seventy years. Everything uh-huh. we know about the ET presence is already in but government it, files, government hands, government labs. But but how many people know that? Uh, and if they read this report, well, uh, but, becomes, <laughs> well, more more than than before this show began tonight. That's <laughs> Every true. time there's an That's article, uh, we've been educating the public on this for a very long time. There are a lot of people. We need some new polling uh, because of all that's happened the last three years. I, I'm surprised that Ipsos and Reuters and others are not out there. We need new polling. I, I'm thinking if you were to do a poll now, I'm thinking 60% or more of the American people would say the phenomenon is extraterrestrial. I know that. I don't know why they're holding off on that. A higher number would be higher among my audience. Go check out Stephen Bassett. Uh, his presentations are online at Contact in the Desert if you buy a virtual ticket. Well, you can watch those uh, for up to two weeks, so you don't have to watch it all this weekend. Um, And, Stephen, um, where do we keep up with you online so folks can um, stay up to date on all the disclosure news? Website, ParadigmResearchGroup.org. Follow Paradigm Research Group on Twitter. Follow Paradigm Research Group on Facebook or me, Steve Bassett, on Facebook. I need followers, folks. Go to my page. If you're a follower of mine on social media, we've tagged Stephen in all of those uh, forums. So just click there. Stephen, always a pleasure. Look forward to talking with you again. Great show, Jeremy. Great show. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's Stephen Bassett. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Have a fun and safe holiday, everyone. And we'll talk to you next month on Into the Paranormal. Good night. Good night.